You are listening to the REI Central Podcast presented by Maven Realty. I'm your host, Troy Gandy, broker in charge of Maven Realty, with my co-host Dan Rivers, your eco-friendly realtor. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to all things real estate and real estate investing in the Charleston market. REI Central is a monthly real estate investing meetup presented by Maven Realty and Clear Vision Coaching. An REI Central event takes place every month right here in the Charleston area. We would love to see you at our next event. Also, please know that we are not attorneys or accountants. The contents of this show should not be considered legal or financial advice. The discussions in this show are not intended to be professional counsel. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to episode 42. 42. That's crazy. Um, Of the uh, REI Central podcast presented by Maven Realty. I'm Troy Gandy, the broker in charge of Maven Realty, and with me, as always, is Dan Rivers, your eco-friendly realtor. Um, we, it's been a while since we released one, I think. We've now switched it to monthly because we just are super busy. Um, but we have a really good couple of guests today. We're excited to talk to these guys. I don't really know these guys that well, so I'm excited to just kind of hear their business model and stuff. I know of them. I know that they have a really good reputation, so I'm excited just to chat with them. Um, we'll get into them in a minute, but um, I think we got a couple listings we want to share. Dan, you got some stuff? Yeah, I got uh, 59 America downtown on the east side. That that area's really turned just in the past 12 months, mm-hmm. never mind over the past few years. Uh, that is a good renovation project if someone wants to go make it a single family home or um, possibly you know talk to zoning and, and do a duplex there. I mm-hmm. think the duplex may be a better play in that location uh, for a long-term investment. Uh, 1905 Duford on Johns Island. Anybody looking for a beautiful, large house, uh, pretty much brand new. It's a couple years old, established neighborhood. I mean, they have holiday parties, great Halloweens. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool neighborhood. That one is for sale for uh, $777,000. We'll be doing an open house 11 to 1 Sunday. 454 Embassy, that's over in Somerville. Just drop that to 265. That's on 0.7 acres. Uh, it's a little bit of rural touch, but you're about three, four miles from downtown Somerville. And that's for 265000 as I mentioned, 3-2, fully renovated. And then Salvo Street, there are mobile homes on this lot, but you got to get rid of them. It's Hanover. Um, but you should be able to put in definitely a single-family home, and there's apartments going across the street. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance you should be able to get you know, duplex or maybe maybe even a triplex, probably duplex uh, approved in that area. Um, so it's a good opportunity for someone that wants to build a small, um, like I said, single or duplex. Okay. That's cool. I got a couple other listings coming up soon. I got one on Bryan Street, downtown Somerville, finishing up uh, renovation. One on Embassy, it's going to be, a, I'm sorry, one on Felix, it's going to be a great house act with the mother in law suite. So, mm-hmm. a couple other listings popping soon. Cool. Um, and I have a couple. We listed, I think yesterday we bought, gave it out about five townhouses <clears throat> in Park Circle that were renovating, but one of them was ready to go. So, I got that on market yesterday. It's $49.90 Hyde for $350. Um, two bed, two and a half baths, renovated, just like five minute walk to East Montague. So should go pretty fast. Um, but we're going to have four more of those over the next few months as we get possession back on them. We'll be able to sell those. Um, and then I just listened one, just went live today. It's been coming soon, but um, that's in Hunter's Bend um, in Ladson, close to Sangaree. It's 1215 Briar Rose, uh, four bed two and a half bath single family um on the little lake up there in hunter's bend cool little neighborhood close to nexton um and it is listed at 349 i believe so pretty good value on that one for the size oh nice yeah. actually um sorry i forgot one other one i want to bring up a commercial listing coming up it's a mm. office complex about 2800 of the just under eleven thousand square feet uh currently rented and we're looking to possibly put in a medical tenant in the other square footage. We're working on that now. We'll see what happens. If not, we'll have that up for lease. But that's going to be sold at um, based on the rent they have now and rent that they could put in a place about a six and a quarter cap and a two point eight million uh, off the old trolley. That should be live in about seven to ten days. Cool. And then, uh, as always, I think Dan has a market update for us. I don't think a lot's changed, but um, we'll go through the numbers and see what's what's happening. Yeah, I'll do a quick market update. As everybody knows, at REI Central, I'll give a more detailed one and then blast that out in a newsletter uh, that we do on a monthly basis. But uh, in a snapshot, one thing I've noticed, if, if we all remember about May, June, there was about four to six weeks where the inventory would go up about 10% a week. 
and it went from around 1,500, 1,400 homes on MLS just in general up to about 2,700 homes. I've been watching the last 11 weeks. It stayed in that 2,700 yeah. home range, which is really weird. I'm not talking like I have not seen it go to 25 to 29. It's been really weird staying in that 2,700 homes. You click MLS and it's right around that number mm-hmm. each week. I'm not saying I look at it daily and hourly, but each week I've checked it out. So it seems to be that we had that spike in inventory and now we kind of held it at 2,700 homes. However, every, anybody who knows and that flippers I talk to and other real estate agents, the market is definitely strange where homes are sitting a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily price. Um, you know, I see price drops. We try to you know move the home to get more showings. It's in my ex- experience, it hasn't necessarily been price. It's more location. Certain homes in certain spots are moving pretty quickly, whereas other homes in other spots, even if you price it, you know, five six percent lower than your your comps were three four five months ago. They're still not getting as much traffic as they used to. Mm-hmm. I did talk to Jessica over at Home Depot. She had mentioned that her applications have gone up over the last 30 days. So hopefully that's a sign that maybe we'll get some more buyer activity. Um, but it's it's something that I think, and we've been talking about this for months at REI Central, but if you're a flipper, just you should be adding some months on your holding time. Mm-hmm. Just, just be cautious there. You know, I would recommend a few things. Um, I would look at whether you're flipping or doing a uh, buy and hold burr method. I would... Um, try to comp things out over the last 60 days and maybe even take 12 months ago and mm-hmm. see what the comps were 12 months ago and compare that to what you're looking at and then that could help you with a conservative ARV. Um, and then, you know, as we always talk about, make sure you're buying if you're burring or flipping at that 70% or lower ARV minus repair costs. So, um, but the whole time I think is important. If you think you used to be able to move in four months, do six or seven months, you know, just be smart on that. Yep. Just because, um, you know, things are changing in that environment however is uh, you know no hitting the panic button i mean homes are still moving it's it's still technically a seller's market it's just i just think we had so much activity over covid so low of interest rates i also feel that there's probably a lot of people in their home at a, with the two or three in front of their interest rates mm-hmm. they're probably not in a rush to go buy another house in the sixes yeah so that's probably another big factor on why you, you kind of see these sitting they're trying to see what's going to happen i mean no one can predict the future. I've talked to a couple of lenders who are saying, hey, probably first or second quarter rates may, you know, be adjusted again back down next year. But again, you can't predict that. No one knows that for certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have an election coming up, though, so I could see that coming into play. Um, yeah. But and this uncertainty and just I mean, look at the stock market and everything going on. And that big R word recession is like, are we in the middle of one right now? Uh, unemployment's still low, but it's adjusting. So there's just a lot of factors going on that when people are not certain and these rates are higher than they were, you know, with their house they're living in now. It's just, you know, people have kind of slowed down on buying. Mm-hmm. We'll just kind of keep an eye on it and keep giving people updates as we go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a weird market. Um, but with that inventory being so low, it's still a seller's market technically. So things are going. It's just uh, strange. It's just a really weird time. So, all right, well, we will get into our guests now. I'm excited to talk to these guys. This is Cody Lewis and Jackson Babcock of Vindu, uh, Vindu Capital. Um, I think most of our listeners will probably be familiar with these guys because they re- they run our commercial group, um, the subgroup, the last Thursday of each month, which is coming up. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but that'll be, is that like next Thursday? 29th. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so we're excited to talk to these guys. They, they do things that I don't do, um, that Dan is starting to get geared up to potentially do a little bit in the future. Um, but they've got a, a wealth of knowledge of things that just, I'm just not really an expert in. So I'm just excited to talk to them. Um, so welcome guys. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank you. No problem at all. Um, well, let's get started. Just tell us who you are and, uh, what you guys do, you know, professionally and personally. Uh, so we're video capital, uh, Jackson and I have known each other for quite a long time longer than we like to admit probably. Uh, we've known each other since high school and it's been a great friendship, but uh, being that we were able to reconnect and both were interested in getting into the real estate game, it kind of worked out that, hey, we were both interested at the same time mm-hmm. looking for similar types of things in the commercial space and timing was right. So we partnered together and, and here we are to form the new capital going after some multifamily properties cool. in the area. Is that the focus is primarily multifamily? Yeah, yeah, definitely multifamily. We've looked at some other asset classes, um, definitely interested in some other things, but just kind of keeping the focus on multifamily right now. 
Um, we're always dabbling. You never know if to return. So bullish on you know some industrial properties and different things like that. But yeah, for now, multifamily square. Cool. Do you want to fill us in on yeah. um, about you personally or yeah. business wise? So um, yeah, I'm Jackson Babcock of Vindu. Um, yeah, what, uh, what Cody said, we've known each other a long time. Um, I was in the construction side, uh, I had a company and I uh, was investing in real estate, wanted to get more uh, active and take this thing uh, full time and me and Cody kept talking and talking and it felt like the timing was right. So 2021, we uh, started up Vendu Capital and, and here we are today. Cool. So your background is construction. And what was yours, Cody, before? Corporate sales. So okay. I worked for a bunch of different technology companies for 12, 14 years or so. Cool. And did corporate sales. That's a great combination there. Yeah. It, we like to think so. Yeah. We talk about partnerships all the time and, you know, making sure it's the right partner, uh, values aligned, um, expectations, goals, and also skill sets. So you guys want to tell us a little bit like each of your roles and then how you knew that you guys would form a good partnership? Well, I think, you know, the interesting part, we, when we first started out, it was we tried to define what roles would look like. You know, you do this, I do this, and we could try to split them up. But I think we kept coming back to even now, the idea of, you know, we're a two-man shop, we're a small business at the end of the day. So we wear all the hats at different times, different times of the day. Uh, we, we recently had an investor, I had an initial call with but I was like, Jackson, I think you would connect really well with mm -hmm. this person. So I think you should follow up with him. Mm -hmm. and, and really sink in. And that's the way it is. You know, Jackson has that construction background. I have the sales background. There's a lot of uh, kind of give and take that we can bring to the table with each other. And we have some differences that, that bring out the best in each other, but it's ultimately we wear so many different hats. So mm -hmm. we tried the, I'm investor relations or your broker relations and it just, it never really worked out. Mm -hmm. There are a few brokers that Jackson has a great relationship with. There's some others that I do. Mm -hmm. We just handle it as it comes in and as needed, I think is the best way that we've found it works for us. Yeah, yeah, for now, that's definitely how we've uh, been taking it. Um, I think in the future, as we grow, we'll definitely define those roles more as we can bring people in. Like, mm -hmm. You know, if you're head of marketing or investor relations, you know, asset management, so be whatever it is, but right now, like I said, yeah, we're, we're wearing all hats, you know. Um, my background more on the, you know, running that company, starting that from scratch, and just the project managing side and asset management, I enjoy that. So a lot of our value-add stuff, I'll kind of take the lead on all that, and that's what I enjoy. Um, but we got to do what you got. You know, we're secretary one day, and yeah. say you're swinging a hammer or, or a ball broker, whatever it takes, you know, get the job done. But yeah. We're, we're definitely big believers in who not how. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, we, you know, we're working towards that, and we we have strategies and plans. The moment that those folks start to become available, or we need them, or we need to offload some of that to to run a little bit faster, mm -hmm. those plans are in place to to make that happen. It's just pulling that lever when we need to because we we are very big believers in the who not how. Right. Well, you guys are. You've been very productive in a short amount of time because it was really kind of just last year, right, that y'all got got running. So, what's the deal flow been like over that that year? You want you want to take this one? Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, getting started, um, you know, twenty twenty one, beginning of twenty twenty one, we spent the first four or five months of the year just really getting the company off the ground, getting everything kind of set in place, uh, building relationships, um, just all the systems, processes. And then we really started looking for deals around, I guess it was June, July, June yeah, or so, right, right. yeah, 2021. By that time, the market had just gone nuts mm -hmm. as far as, you know, the prices and the over-speculation of stuff. Mm -hmm. We can get, we can deep dive into that here. But, yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, there was a lot of deal flow. Everybody was just, you know, you know, drunk on low interest rates and, <laughs> and speculation and, and it was everybody was mm -hmm. selling it and, you know, selling and, you know, cause they were making good returns off of stuff they bought, you know, 12, 18 months ago. It was just hot market. Um, we didn't see the value in a lot of the stuff being traded. So we kind of, we underwrote a lot of deals. We turned down a lot of stuff, um, um, made some offers, but just couldn't, you know, people come in with, you know, this crazy money out of the yeah. areas and, just didn't make sense. So, um, and now we rolled into 2022. Um, we're in a rising interest rate market. It's gotten a complete shift. I mean, mm -hmm. people aren't selling. There's very little deal flow. I think, you know, a lot of them are expecting that we're going to stay in these low interest rates. Um, and they can't hit their, they hit their marks. So they're getting forced to hold right now. Mm -hmm. So I think why well, it's uncertain, but we see opportunity coming on the horizon. So. I agree with that. Um, I've, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times. This, that's not really where I'm at. I broker some of those when they come around and things, and I'm an LP in a few things. 
with operators that I just trust is, you know, a big one. Um, but I think the future of a lot of these multifamily syndications is going to be interesting. Um, kind of what you alluded to. I think we're going to see a lot of those come back around. Well, Jackson alluded to it a little bit. I think there are a lot of groups mm -hmm. out there that when the dust starts to settle a little bit more, I think we're going to be in for a real shock on mm -hmm. who are really good operators and who are taking advantage of the market yeah. and the interest rates and what the Fed's been doing. So that's why we felt really comfortable over the time period that we've been doing it, that we were comfortable not buying anything. Mm -hmm. We were comfortable not putting our investors in that position because we wouldn't be forced to do anything. We want to have control of the property and you know, there can be always unforeseen things, mm -hmm. but we can plan for most of those, right? And have some sort of contingency. We didn't feel comfortable planning for the unknown mm -hmm. or, or something that we can't control. So um, that's, that's ultimately where we stand. But I think to your point, we're going to see some operators that did not operate the property well. Mm -hmm. Their their track record will show thus far that it looks like they did. Mm -hmm. But as these interest rates continue to go, they're not hitting a pro forma. They're going to be forced to sell or hold and maybe make a capital call. It'll, it'll be telling. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think it's a very good point. And with a lot of people listen to this investment syndications. What do you think are signs that they take a look for? Are there, are there questions they can ask the operator for a certain either financials or, or you know, maybe some expectations and if there's adjustments, like any, any, any advice you would give someone looking for, that's already investing in syndications on what to look for or what to ask? Come to our meetup next week. Yeah, perfect. I love it. That's a good plug. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing, we're we're doing underwriting and Jackson's actually going to be, be leading that discussion. And, and I know he's going to, Jackson's going to jump into that, but I, I did want to just put that plug out there. Mm -hmm. that part of the thing is, Anybody can really fudge the numbers in the performance and the underwriting. It's understanding what the numbers mean. And listen, I, I would put Jackson up against any underwriter out there uh, in the country as far as being able to look at stuff and, and understand it at a mm -hmm. micro level that you got to see what the numbers are doing and not just the fluff. You know, anybody can print a nice, really pretty OM and, yeah. you know, they're, they're great, but how do they operate? What does the actual operations look like? I think it goes down to the profile or the underwriting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree, Cody. So, yeah, I mean, some of the things you can look at is, you know, you get these OMs, they're pretty, like Cody said, and you'll see these pro format and they'll say, this IRR, this looks good, and, you know, your, your equity multiplier and what cash flow. The biggest thing is, you know, that looks good and stuff, but you really need to see where they where they come into this. Most of them don't share that. So as for me, I you know I invest passively, so that's how I got started. Um, was I had a company and needed to put you know we were started to make some money and like where are we gonna put this? And mm -hmm. I really like stocks and everything traditionally. So we got into um, really reading and deep diving into that, and that's what led me into the apartment stuff and pairing up with private you know syndicators and putting our money with the private equity guys. So. Um, one of the biggest things, and I didn't know this as much at first, but this was years ago, but it's just like really, for me, I want to see their underwriting. I want to see why, how are you coming up with these numbers? Mm -hmm. Because what we saw a lot, especially over the last year or so, is they're, they're banking on, they're buying on like year three pro forma. Mm -hmm. These properties are not cash flowing. They can't cover debt service in year one and two, yet they're paying preps back to their investors. Mm -hmm. Where's the money coming from? As you can see, they overraised the capital. Yeah just to pay back the prep on it and everything. Now there's a business, for me, I don't want to see that. I'd rather just, hey, we can't cash flow the first two years. Mm -hmm. We're not paying. Don't dilute the back end returns. But show me your business plan because I understand it, you know, especially in a typical value add or something, it might not work. Distressed property, it might not cash flow. Right. That's fine, that's the business plan. We understand that, let's just see it in writing. Don't over promise this stuff just to pay, over raise. And the problem we'll see a lot of guys, they'll overraise it and they're still taking acquisition fees off the overraise yeah. just to pay you back your own money. Yeah. So we saw a lot of that going on, which is, uh, didn't like seeing that. Um, biggest thing is exit cap, right? What are they projecting? Mm -hmm. You know, like if they're doing a refi, what's the interest rate? What are they, are they, they're going to try to refi it? They bought it at a three and a half percent interest and they think five years or three years out, they're going to refi it three. 375 mm -hmm. obviously that's not gonna work not at all yeah just a lot of things going on so that's kind of stuff i look at capex budget uh, a lot of guys are getting smoked on that mm -hmm. right now with the pricing material mm -hmm. they underestimate it they can't get the capex done so there's just a lot of little things and then you know track record how long they've been doing it what they do before mm -hmm. um just a lot of different things i mean and 
there's a lot. I mean, we're a newer company too, so sometimes you got to put their faith in it. But like I always look at, what, what were you doing before? Yeah. Were you running a business? Were you successful? There's you a, have you been through hard times? How'd you come out of it? That's you know? what I was going to say. There's a level of maturity because you're not just like bootstrapping. Like you're raising money from people. Right. So there's a certain level of like, not age necessarily, but like what have you done? You know, in the past, especially when it comes to other people's money, that we can we can trust you with our money. Your background coming from construction, I'm sure, helps a lot with with that issue. Like with rehabs, turnover is one of the biggest issues of this because you're most people are focusing on mildly distressed or you know distressed assets, and then they're going to try to turn them over. And construction's just been a nightmare for the last couple of years. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think it does help. Um, so I started my company officially in the beginning of 07. It was um, kind of in of 06, getting everything but 07 incorporated. And we had a good run, and then 08 hit. Mm-hmm. I watched what happened to a lot of these guys who were over leveraged in real estate. Um, we're, we, we were uh, commercial contractors. We did big, big pipeline work for uh, mm-hmm. cities in this valley, dirt work, some private stuff. We saw the residential guys, the home builders. I mean, they were just going bankrupt. Mm-hmm. A lot of construction companies going bankrupt. They were over leveraged. Luckily, you know, we you know we stayed lean and mean and made it through there and it came out ready to go and that's you know kind of saw the same writing on the wall. It's just kind of different. We were in a overinflated economy instead of going down. But I'm like, you know, it's a lot of the same stuff. It kind of reminded me watching on, you know, single family back then. They were adjustable rates. Mm-hmm. We'll just give you money, you know, whatever, buy anything you want. It's kind of almost like the commercial side. All these mm-hmm. private debt funds started showing up with all this liquidity that's flooding the market. Interest rates were near zero you know from the fed side you know so they're getting rates in the twos and three the low threes and it was just like here we'll lend on year three and it's like well that's great but a lot of these people they just they've only been operating for two years mm-hmm. they hadn't seen bad times they don't even know what a rising interest rate market is mm-hmm. and how to navigate through it and i think that's going to be some tough situations for a lot of people and and i just don't think it has shown up yet i mean a lot of these loans have not matured they're still 12, 18, 24 months on them. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I think you're going to see opportunities, yep. especially in C&B um, class properties. And that's going to be a big opportunity for you guys, being yep. ready to go and being reasonable and underwriting these things correctly. Yep. And having investors that trust you because it sounds like you'll turn a lot of deals down, right? We probably turned down way, I mean, I can tell you, for 100%, we turned down way more deals than, we, than we've uh, put bids out for. Mm-hmm. We've turned down working with other groups too mm-hmm. in the past, looking at their deals, they're asking us to come help out with either asset management, maybe some capital, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And we look at some of their deals and we turned it down on that. So there was opportunity for us to get our feet wet a little bit sooner than we than where we're at now. But we didn't feel comfortable with the mm-hmm. underwriting. We didn't feel comfortable with the how they're gonna operate the property or their 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 model, whatever they're looking at. Just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So for us, we would rather hold out. We know there's a correction coming. We already started to see signs of that, and yeah, we're, we feel like we're primed, ready to go. So we're doubling down on conversations with brokers, mm-hmm. really strengthening those relationships, going back and going back to our investor pool and re-strengthening those relationships, reconnecting with them, figuring out what they like to look for, make sure it really matches up with what we're looking at as well. Cool. And when do you when's when's your thought on this? Are uh, you thinking um, early part, middle part, end of next year? I guess no one can really predict. But what's like your when you guys are having those long term discussions? What are you, are you just waiting for it to hit and then just ready to pounce type deal? Any any thoughts on it? I'm some of us we're never waiting. We're constantly keeping up the broker relation. You know, we're looking at deals all the time. It's just the deal flow is very thin right now. Um, we're not waiting. I mean. We actually have, you know, a deal we're closing this week with another group we're partnering, and we got enough partnering with, and we got another uh, one under contract that we'll close at the end of October. Um, it's uh, and those just popped up, but you know, it, it, it took a while to find those, mm-hmm. and you know, we've been very patient. Um, but you know, predictions wise, I mean, it's so hard. You know, I mean, if you look at the Fed's coming out with another uh, uh, rate hike today. Um, we don't know if it's seventy-five or hundred basis points. Um, mm-hmm. You know they can't get inflation under control. It's uh, it wasn't transitory as they thought it was going to be. Uh, surprise! <laughs> oh, surprise! Surprise! Um, so you know I, I don't know. You look at the Ford curve. You start seeing it come back. Um, interest rates kind of pulling back a little bit from the Fed side. You know the, the beginning of twenty twenty four. But it all depends. You know I mean it, it, I think we're going to feel some pain. I don't know if it's going to be that easy. Mm-hmm. I um, I try to listen to a lot of economic stuff. Kind of geek out on the macro stuff mm-hmm. and listen to monetary and fiscal policy. Listen to people a lot smarter than me and try to navigate. Sometimes that's gotten me in trouble by uh, 
being too pessimistic. And, and but you know, I mean, you know, we were kind of me and Cody have been talking about this. You know, even in the late last year, you know, you start looking at, you know, what the Fed was going to do, and you can see where it's going. And people are still buying, buying, and you know, we we're kind of talking about this, and people are like, "Oh, you're pessimistic, you're pessimistic." Well, now six months later, everyone's saying the same thing. It's like well, we were talking about it then, you know, but nobody really wanted to listen. But mm-hmm. It's a uh, but anyway, I guess back to your, um, you know, was well, it like a target? Is it like, so let's take it away from obviously you can't predict the future, but are you restructuring on areas you target or a certain type of class buildings or things of that nature? I think we've really doubled down on our core values mm-hmm. of we like the value add, the forced appreciation, being able to get in there and, and add that value ourselves because there, there's a lot of property that, you know, I talked to a broker the other day and said, hey, what's the value add on this? And they say, you can repay the parking lot. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> that, that's not it. We'll be able to right? Yeah, so it's like we're doubling down on kind of our core principles of the value add, looking at the B and C type properties, looking mm-hmm. at what we can do. Uh, areas we're still pretty focused on. I think if anything, we've expanded. Uh, I think one of the lessons we learned going in, you know, we were of this mindset. We listened to a lot of podcasts. We had a very good coach uh, going into this and. But everyone was talking about, you know, you got to do 80 to 150 doors, 80 mm-hmm. to 150 doors. You got to look at these major markets. And I think for us, one, we were very gung-ho on that 80 to 100. But mm-hmm. based on the time we were jumping in, kind of mid-2021, that, I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. And it was forcing all the bigger players to come down, lower unit counts. So it was pricing us out of things, mm-hmm. being a little bit newer. Brokers didn't have to really work quite as hard because they had you know forty offers coming in, unforeseen, unwalked properties. And well, to that is you had a lot of institutional money showing yep. up on the bigger properties, yeah. which is why they were forcing some of these smaller groups that were buying two hundred fifty units before. Mm-hmm. They're coming down to that hundred unit because they got the big guys showing up, and you can't compete with. But everything yeah. we heard was 80 to 100, 80 to 100. And I think, if, you know, crystal ball we, or, you know, time machine, we go back in time. I think we go probably five to 20 doors to mm-hmm. try and build up a small portfolio in, a, in like an area that we really like. Yeah. And then maybe sell that out and get, get, your, get the ball rolling a little bit more, show some, uh, show some activity to brokers, show some activity to investors. Uh, but really, it's we're expanding more. So we're looking at more uh, markets that we did before. Mm-hmm. We were pretty honed in on like three markets previously, but now we're looking most of the Carolinas. We love coastal Georgia, mm-hmm. and we're uh, starting to look and expand into Florida as well. Mm-hmm. Cool, but yeah, that's what I've done too. Is like I, syndicating to me, it's just not my brain. I'm just not the macroeconomic guy. Never really have been. Um, people that are, I have nothing but respect for them. So early, maybe shortly after the pandemic, I was kind of looking at that. I was like, do I go this way or would I rather just be a really small operator on my own with the the smaller units? And that's where I've landed because I just like, um, I just like that control. Sure. But you can't scale obviously nearly as quick. That's the issue. That's why so few people are doing it. But I mean, I only, I have, I think 30 something right now, but that's between three units. It's a 14, a six and a 10. But they're all in areas that I know really well. So when they come through, I'm like, hell yeah, I know exactly how these work. You know, well, compounds on them. Honestly, to what Cody was saying, you know, the returns on those probably would probably exceed what stuff is trading in 2021 and mm-hmm. some of the stuff lately. Just um, and that was one thing that was it was tough for us because if you were looking, you know, to what Cody was saying with the value add being our core, that's what we want. If you looked at where these things were trading at the cap rates they were trading, they're they're trading. C class stuff is trading the same cap rate as a class A property. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So you go put all the work into it, and you're just getting back to a cap rate that you know value of what it should have traded for anyway. Like, what's the point of that? Yep. And we just couldn't understand that. Like, it was you taking all the risk to turn it over, redo all the renovation just to get to where it should have been trading. The delta between the return wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You might as well just go buy a class A property and just kind of clip the coupon in a sense and take the returns. But to that. When you're starting out, Class A, that's institution money, big yeah. syndicators, you know, people that can really raise a lot of equity. So it's just a, it was a hard market to jump into at the timing that we came in. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad, I'm kind of glad when we did step up, yeah. you know, because if we came in in 2019, we'd have bought up a bunch of stuff or 2020, you know, I you know, we could have bought some bad deals thinking that hey, it was always going to be sunshine and, you know, and that's not true. So I don't know, you know, it's, um, everything happens for a reason, but yeah. we're, um, we're definitely well positioned and ready for the opportunities coming down the line. I want to like you guys are talking. I think it's like the perfect topic to kind of expand upon a little bit more of any creative 
ways you, you think deals can be done with the, you know, time start to shake, people start to get a little shook, you know, like sub twos and, and you know, different types of things that we do on the residential side. Are you going to see that kind of transfer to the multifamily side? Some creative ways to be able to grab these deals down to save the failing syndicators or the family? I think one thing that we've started to do that may be interesting, maybe others are, I don't know. Uh, Jackson has great relationships with our property managers. You know, when we talk about hats, he, he's typically managed that just with his construction background and overseeing a lot of those different projects. Um, working with them and building those relationships, they're already in some of these properties. Mm -hmm. They know if the operator is effectively running the property well or how they're running it. Yeah. And are they in trouble? Are they not? Is it performing? Is it underperforming? Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. We were looking at a deal in Fayetteville. Now, Fayetteville isn't normally a market we look at, but we really like the broker. We have a strong relationship, so of course we would look at it for them. And they were like, listen, you can get these rents up to, I think it was like 12, 1300, something like that. Yeah, something way larger than what they're at. Mm -hmm. We happened to have a relationship with a property manager that was on site managing mm -hmm. the property. And we, we reached out to them and said, hey, talk to us. And they're like, oh, we actually manage it. Don't buy it. We can't get rents above ten ninety nine. We yeah. had one person at ten ninety nine. We've done all the renovations to it. We can't get them above it. And we're like, well, we're looking like twelve, twelve fifty on the pro forma. Not a chance. Yeah. And that saved us really from possibly investing in a bad deal uh, and not being able to get those. But I think now it's leveraging those relationships to find deals that maybe are going to be off market before they get to a broker. And, and to that point, to that deal, that tra that deal did trade. Mm -hmm. Someone bought it off the pro forma of thirteen hundred a month. Now if they couldn't get that twenty one. Now people can't absorb any more rent increases. So yeah, that property is going to come back around. True. They're yeah. going to be upside down on it. They can't hit what they're at, and that's the kind of examples we were talking about. You know, that's a prime example of what we we're talking about. So they're buying on year three pro forma, thinking they're going to hit it, and if they don't. It's going to be a buying opportunity. Well, I think that's, I'm sorry, but I think you're going to see that across the board a lot, of, and not a lot of people are talking about it yet, mm -hmm. but it's coming. Well, I think that's important too. Um, one of the things that you touched upon that I want to really bring to light is the relationship with the property manager of an actual rent number. I don't want that to get skipped over because it was that's a, such an important point. I mean, I've looked at a couple of performers. I got some people sending me some multifamilies. I'm looking at them like, yeah, but you're buying it at your three with these high. And I, and I was like, and then I go around and I look and I'm like, I'm not seeing these rental numbers elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, I'll, I mean, again, I'm nowhere near you guys have expertise. When I'm analyzing the market, I go and I look for the average, you know, family incomes there. You know, what can that income actually afford? Because you're three times the income. Can that actually even afford the numbers that are put in this performer on your average Median, um, so like, and then population, is it growing? Is it declining? How Money Walks is a great website, although they're about two or three years behind, but it shows you is money coming into that county, is money moving out of that county? Mm -hmm. Like those are the things that kind of trigger me to that I would look at as an investor when I'm looking to put money in a syndication. Um, well, you and say I you're just, not an expert, but that's pretty much. <laughs> that's, <what I'm> <laughs> that's pretty good. That sounds like the coaching playbook we got. Yeah. 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 I mean, those, those are just things that, like, over time, you learn yeah. from people. Yeah. It's like that's what you look at. But exactly. I think that's a great point, though. You're talking to the hands-on property manager there, and they're giving you, hey, yeah, maybe in theory you can get this, but no one's paying it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so I, important. Yeah. I think you know, going back to to leveraging backgrounds, you know, one of the things that that we try to set up. So we we basically have a, a funnel or a pipeline for anybody that's been in sales. And when we do our underwriting, our, the property goes through that funnel, that underwriting funnel. And step one is, do we see rent comps and, and rent pumps based mm -hmm. on what the, and, you know, we'll, we'll take the OM and we kind of throw out, we, we just want the rent roll in the T12, right? yeah. the OM's whatever. Mm -hmm. We want to understand what the, the broker thinks the play is. Then we'll see, okay, do we validate rent pumps? Mm -hmm. If yes, then we'll put it through the full underwriting model, kind of put some numbers to it based on our assumptions. If it still looks good, then the very next thing is we engage a property manager that we know, like, and trust in the area, mm -hmm. and then they will validate our assumptions or kill the deal, which we're fine with. Mm -hmm. If, if yeah. they're like, absolutely not, we can't get that, great. You just saved us a ton of time and money. Yeah, and a good property manager doesn't want to lie to you. They don't want to tell you, like, oh, yeah, absolutely, we're going to get you $1,300 because then – you get in there and you're pissed because you're not getting it. And it's not good for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And not making a quick commission like maybe a salesperson is mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. They're going to be the one in the trenches most likely doing it for you, so they're not going to give you an unreal expectation. So, I mean, hearing it from the source, I mean, that's just 
it's genius. It's it's basic. You would think it's something that a lot of people would do, but they don't. They and don't. that's that's such yeah. a great move. And it's uh, important yeah. too to think about just the future now with. You know, obviously, rent increases is like the primary value add for the majority of these assets. But people were already having a hard time paying, and now with the economy being strange, I mean, we we're working on my ten unit that I have a bridge on it right now. I'm in the process of refinancing, and we're turning units, trying to get everybody up. I think right now we only have like three of those up to market rent. So my my PM just sent me an email a couple days ago with like where we're at with renewals and increases with everybody else and like three of them were like I can't pay we're only bumping them you know twenty percent like we're not even going all the way up to market value on most of them because of the condition but they're trying to negotiate they're like I can't I can't pay it you know and those are private pay mostly but if you don't consider that when you're underwriting these I mean you've got it it's a rude awakening when you get to the yeah finish I mean, line. You know, you know, back to Dan asking about the looking at what to look for. I mean, that's one of the things in underwriting too. It's not just like, you know, I said some about refi rates and cap rate exit caps and stuff, but really like look at the rent growth on it. Mm-hmm. Are they are they looking at ten percent year over year rent growth and their expense growth is at two percent? Crazy eight percent. You know, delta between is like, wait a second, mm-hmm. that's not really realistic. And we were seeing that over and over again. And um, you know, year one maybe yeah, but you can't continue that. Mm-hmm. You know? Especially in this market, like you said, I mean, they can't they can't absorb any more rent increases. Yep. I mean, look at their fan of the pump, the grocery store. I mean, you know. So. Well, and listen, I, at, at the end of the day, too, like you you need to look at each deal, and we encourage our investors to do this. We would encourage any investors look at any deal. I don't care how large the operator is, how successful they are, they need to look at each deal on an individual basis. Just because they they did well on one does not mean the next one is automatically going to be a win. Mm-hmm. If you're looking, you know, a lot of these operators want a 1031 that money. It's a great thing for all the people involved if the next deal is good. All right. We've seen plenty of deals with operators that have asked us to come on board for whatever reason. We're very large, successful operators. And then we look at the deal and we're like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. We see some of these warning signs that Jackson's been talking about. And it's like, yeah, these are red flags for us. But maybe it works out for you guys. Hopefully it does. And hope for your investors. But at the end of the day... We don't feel comfortable with it. Yeah, and you don't want to jeopardize your investors either by pulling them in. So what are you guys doing to prepare for, you know, whatever might be coming up? Well, I think going back to it, it's and and we've we've learned even more recently, it's we have to really go back and double down on continuing the conversation and understanding where our investors are at. Mm -hmm. We we pitch them in kind of initially on these are our philosophies, these are our goals, this is what we like, mm-hmm. and they like us for that reason. Obviously, we had an existing relationship with most of them, so they kind of already knew, like, and trusted us. It was pitching them on the business model. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure that we align on what their investment goals and strategies are. That shifts and changes mm-hmm. on a month-to-month, every you know year basis. Yeah. Uh, some of our investors recently, they had opportunity to do some things with their capital for their own personal business that you know could make them even more money, great. You know, so that was the right timing for them to do that. Wasn't the right time for them to invest with us, and that's perfectly fine. So mm-hmm. it's staying on top of that and have growing that pool that aligned with what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's very good to know. I mean, so just hearing you guys talk, it's just a very like realistic approach to this stuff. It's not a bunch of bullshit, which is what has scared me about this whole asset class and that strategy over the last couple of years. Because there's people I know that I don't even know if they can tie their shoes. That we're looking for 200, 300 unit apartments. And it scared me. And, you know, the exit, my biggest question has been when everybody tries to exit these things at the same time, who the hell is going to buy all these? Like, there's only so much private equity in the world. And you can't bank on like Chinese funds and Saudi funds buying every single. Black Sounds kind of, they just raised, what was that, like $212 billion for real estate in the next coming 12 to 18 months? I mean, you you guys like. You know better than me, but they're probably gearing up for that, right? I know they are. I think they are. They see what's coming down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, debt funds, these private equity funds that, um, you know, are lending. making these crazy loans and stuff. I mean, you got to look at some of these, you know, you wonder what they're doing. These aren't, these guys aren't dumb. Nah. I mean, these are some of the best finance guys in the world. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, they're, they have a real estate arm and they loan on some of these properties. And it's like, you start looking at it, it's like, why would they make that loan? It's like, well, look at their basis. Mm-hmm. If they take their property back, they got a really nice property for a little basis mm-hmm. or make a, you know, already paid interest and they can be, if it performs, either way, it's a win-win for them. So yeah. it's a, it's going to be an interesting coming up. 
Um, you mentioned something about protecting yourself in this in, in investors, and one thing we look at is you know uh, every property we look at is is that's what I mean that is what we're looking at. So I mean we want to make sure this property can cash flow. We really don't really we, we you never really care about price for mm-hmm. us until you go to sell. Right. The biggest thing you run out of either time or money in real estate, right? So our biggest thing is having you know the right deck structuring long term. You know make sure the property cash flows so that way if it is a downturn at that time point. We don't care. Like I don't care if the property, my ten million dollar property goes to a million. Mm-hmm. It's spinning me off cash flow. Yeah. It'll come back. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I, as long as I'm not forced to sell, and I think that's where we're going to see a lot of people get hurt coming up is they're on these short, interest only three year terms, mm-hmm. and they're going to get. That's what's going to happen. And yeah. that's the only way those deals work. It is interest only three year terms, and they're just praying and hoping that they can sell yeah. afterwards. And I think that, I mean, that's real estate in general. It's always, it how is. long can you hold it? Are you okay? Oh, it is, yeah. you know, that, that time will tell. Are you doing something that just popped my head as we are thinking about this, just different ways to stand apart? And I know you guys like the value add game. Are there things, and you might want to give away trade secrets, that's fine, but your apartment complexes, are you adding certain things like a dog wash or um, certain things of that nature that you're seeing is giving you kind of that, hey, these two apartments look exactly alike, but I'm getting the tenants because that one or two things, that, or maybe it's just a certain upgrade in a kitchen or bathroom that you do. Uh, anything that you're seeing? I, I think it's a little bit of everything, and a lot of it's demographics too. Like, mm-hmm. who's your client base? Where are they located? You know, we looked at a, um, a property up around the, the Park Circle area. And you were just a little bit out, but one of the interesting things we looked at, we didn't get the property, it ended up not selling, but we were looking at putting a bike station in mm-hmm. where you just rent the bike because people didn't want to have it and they can just come and, and you know. And they were take, right next to a lot of the breweries. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, were like they, a short bike ride. And so he did the property manager that walked the property. Yeah. He was talking about relationships and having someone on your team like that. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that were like, that immediately they said, I'd put a bike rental place right here. Mm-hmm. And because I mean, you could see the breweries around the corner, yeah. And yeah. it's like that. There you go. That's amazing. So that was like one interesting thing, you know, just stuff like that. But you know, you would put that in certain places, you know. So, it, but yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to a young uh, tenant the other day, and you know, they just. I think the biggest thing is just cleanliness. You know, mm-hmm. they, they want a nice property. You yeah. Know? I mean, you know, go in there. Don't try to slumlord it. Um, you know. You know, a lot of people can go in and do just the bare minimum to try to bump the rents, but getting that good clientele that you're not flipping in and out, putting in nice stuff for them, um, not cheaping out on everything, which there's a there's a balance between the, the return and what you can do, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I think, you know, just that. No, I think yeah. yeah. that's... I don't know if there's one specific thing, you know. No, there probably isn't. Like you said, it's demographics. It's where you're at. I just a couple of the little things I was thinking about. Like, what are some of the things you've been seeing? I think you hit the nail right on the head. Like the bike station is genius. Any anywhere where you can rent a bike and ride close to it, if that calls for that, or just know your know your tenants and, and ask your manager was another good point you just made. The man, the manager is for yeah, yeah. they can make or break you. A good relationship with your property management is so vital. It I is. Mean, I, that is. And it's hard to find like a property manager. I mean, unfortunately, it really is. But it's a thankless job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very tough thankless job. I don't know why they do it. I mean, you see, they're getting yelled at by the owner or the tenant. So (laughs) (laughs) they can't make everyone happy. So yeah, and you're finding out everything 30 days later after the fact. You know, you get either you get your report first or your distribution first, and then that's when you're asking questions. And you're like, what the hell's been going on over here for the last two to four weeks? So it's a really important relationship to have. You know, and you're talking about things like I was. We were talking to a, a tenant, and they, she was a she was a nurse. She was 26 years old, which is just like a perfect example. Like, you know, what what are you looking for? It's a pretty nice area, and like, what do you think about a gym? They didn't care about it. Like, it's kind of weird because a lot of people try to do a gym in mm-hmm. apartments, and I mean, some of your brand new class A that had the room, but you take some of these smaller like. 70s built C properties or B minus something, whatever. And you, you just try to allocate a little room to make this little tiny gym mm-hmm. say you have a gym. Nobody really uses it. Yeah. You know, they can go down and get a $15 membership at Planet Fitness down the road. And it's like, why, what is the point of that? You know, if you spent $30,000 on that, could you have allocated that to put a little nicer appliance or mm-hmm. lighting package? And they would rather their, it look better. So, you know, just knowing the property and what the people there are looking for. Yep. I think a, one thing we do see that's pretty interesting, though, in some of the properties is the uh, kind of packaging center where the, you know, Postal or Amazon or whoever yeah. can, you know, they have an electronic way and a secure way to have mm-hmm. packages stored so they're not sitting 
at their doorstep, yep. especially like if you're in the park circle downtown area, a little bit more condensed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things that that right there, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And if instead of putting in a gym, having a place that you could pick safely and securely pick up your packages mm-hmm. is I think an alternative to something like that. Yeah. Uh, prop tech's really big depending on the property and the asset as well, you know, keyless entry. Yeah. Uh, we look at a lot of times, and, and just from my background as well, you know, I'm always pushing the group. I'm like, hey, what about if we provided internet for the, for mm-hmm. the group? Because then we could provide good internet for everyone in the, in, the, in the building, but then also they're paying us instead of having to go find the internet and figure it mm-hmm. out and deal with all that. Yeah. Yeah, things like security too. I mean, especially in certain areas like that. That's a big, especially someone young, like a twenty-six-year-old nurse. You say we've got twenty-four-hour security on premises. You and know, then, yeah. Like one big thing is, is lighting. Keep it lit. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it doesn't have to be you know so bright. You can't sleep at night. You know, but it's um, you've been putting like dust and dawn stuff out on the porch mm-hmm. and stuff with like low LED light. Just some lighting. You know, people want to feel safe, mm-hmm. and that's one of the big things. And the thing is, most of those are run off of. It's, it's really getting billed back to the tenant because it's off of there, but it's so little because it's all LED and it's just at night. But they want to come home. They want to feel dark. They, you know, safety is a big thing for the people. Mm-hmm. So. Insurance carriers are big into that too. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I used to manage some big um, assets. I used to do a lot of large-scale condominium management. And lighting was very important because mm-hmm. you're right, safety and security. Um, mm-hmm. Lighting's like more than half the battle there. You can have yeah. the alarms and all the other things, but if it's dimly lit, you're not going to be able to see anybody in a camera. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I'd like to pivot a little bit. We talked about investors uh, a little bit with you guys, um, especially with the recent fluctuations in the stock market and everything. I know we've had a little conversation offline on this a little bit about investors and are you seeing people wanting to kind of move their money from that stock market over to real estate investing? I'm sure it's been happening for a little time now, but is it even more prevalent now? And just want to get your take on that. Yeah. I, I I'll jump in for I I think the answer is yes. I mean, especially with what we've been seeing over the last like six to twelve months. I mean, I, I watch my portfolio. I still have uh, some some really interesting stocks, and I watch my portfolio on a daily basis, just up and down, up and down. And it's like we're have some opportunities to invest it here soon. So I'm just waiting to pull it out at the right time. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of people are, are tired of seeing their their just whole portfolio down. Mm-hmm. You know, they may we may have a little bit of run here and there, but it's like. We're just down. I, I, personally, in my opinion, uh, I don't think we're we've seen the end of it. I think you know there's more to come. Mm-hmm. So it's you know when's the right time and investing in something that's an asset, something you can touch. You know, I think is just a, a better play. But yeah, I think so. I think people are you know they just get tired of the typical four hundred one k and stuff and not being in control. Um, like I said, watching all the volatility, um, we're seeing a lot of people want to come over and self-direct their four ones or their IRAs. If they don't have the liquidity to do it out of cash, they can mm-hmm. they can redo it that way. Um, and we get those calls a lot right now. As far as investors, though, it is it's it's harder right now to raise. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked to a lot of operators. Some are down fifty percent on what they were raising a year ago. Oh. But you know, I mean, you think about people. You know, the sentiment of the economy. You know, you look at your your stock market. You know, or your portfolio and that and you're down 30%, 25%, 30%, you're like, oh, I'm just gonna hold on and wait till it come back up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, you know, that's the thing with the stock thing. People never wanna sell it, it's high, they just, and then they wanna sell it, it goes down. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird thing, but, yeah. and I think a lot of people are wanting to move to, like Cody said, something you can touch, a tangible asset, you know, if that's paper, it's kind of, it's very manipulated, I think, but we could get down that rabbit hole. But, um, you know, not that the equities are bad, but, you know, it's just, uh, um, it's, it's just a different game. But, I mean, with the real estate, that's a tangible asset. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be, you know, I can trade that in any currency. It's, it's physical, it's real. And I think people like the cash flow play. Mm-hmm. They want to see money coming in, you yeah. know, where that they can't really touch. And there's nothing, I mean, you could be in some dividend stocks, but it doesn't pay like real estate. Yeah. And plus the tax benefits. So yeah, that's the big actually one. huge. Yeah. And that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, um, it's just interesting. Like, with p- people kind of tightening up right now across the board yeah. you know, in preparation because, a lot of people haven't really been super affected by this yet, but I think they're anticipating to be. So just holding on, you know, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, we're, we've been really rambling, so we're doing we're doing good here. Um, we'll start winding up a little bit, but what's a, one piece of advice you guys would give to somebody starting out now? Is there any advice you would give them? I think we mentioned a little bit earlier, but don't be afraid to start smaller. Mm-hmm. I think we, we got in thinking, hey, we can get out here and mix it up in the in the larger space but i we talk a lot about being niche and how you can make a lot of money being niche mm-hmm. you may fly under the radar 
but we're perfectly fine flying under the radar uh, and, and, and making good money for ourselves, our investors. Uh, so finding some niche stuff, finding stuff someone else isn't looking at, but mm-hmm. don't be afraid to start small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. One thing about staying, if you start small though, if you're going to go after smaller properties, make sure you're close by. Yeah. It's a, it's a operations, can be an operation nightmare trying to take down a 20 unit property that's 500 miles away from you. So, and, 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 and the goal of that is, you say you're taking smaller properties, like Cody said, build up that portfolio. So that way, when you, as a management operations, it's not 20 more, next thing you got 120 doors mm-hmm. across five properties or six properties, whatever it might be. But now you can centrally locate and, and, and manage that. But also don't be afraid to jump into 100. I mean, mm-hmm. because you can, um, I mean, partnerships, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about that earlier. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, you know, so it's, you can get involved in so many different ways, you know, as long as you can add value. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's groups that need you, you know, like, you know, like Cody's background with tech, I mean, just different things, whatever, asset management, construction management, you name it, you know, raising capital. If you're a phenomenal capital raiser and, you know, you, you've got a, a network of billionaires, you know, well, that's like, why I need you or yeah. something or whoever then we need more capital or whatever so mm-hmm. I think there's just there's so many ways to get involved in real estate don't think you have to take it down by yourself because I think that's a misconception like I don't yeah. have money to do it and it's like partner mm-hmm. there's people with money that don't know how to operate the deal mm-hmm. you know what to do it so yeah. you know. not only just like you said I mean not only just maybe don't have money or the cases or the people who just go for it and it's like your first one or second one, you take me down this big giant, like you talked about, the operators that are probably gonna be struggling yeah. and failing and they're going on that year three pro forma. I've learned a ton just from this conversation this morning that I didn't know you know, before and you're always learning. So that's where it's so important to, to partner with people like you or someone else because if you, and, and you have another set of eyes on it, like you said, hey, if you can kill the deal, it's not a deal. Mm-hmm. So like that's what you're trying to do. So you're helping them. I want you to kill, kill it. it. Yeah. yeah, I want the lender to kill it, the yep. PM to kill it. I want it to go through everybody and nobody can kill it. Or it might be something there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. And we've gotten through, speaking to which, we've gotten through to where our lenders are underwriting and they're going, hey, I, I'm not sure about this one thing. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Like that. That's one of the fi- our final stages. Yeah. We have plenty of people that see it before then, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, if anybody catches it and could kill the deal, we'll gladly walk away. Mm-hmm. And you really want that lender to be on board. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're one of the most vital pieces to all yeah. this. You guys do have a couple deals going on right now, don't you? That you're maybe looking to chat with some folks about. Yeah. So we we have one right now. It's a really interesting deal. And talking about partnerships, we we have a group that we partnered with some some guys out of North Carolina. Uh, to take down a deal, and it's a real interesting play. We talk about markets and, and different strategies in different markets. Uh, there's we're we're buying a portfolio of units uh, between Walterboro and Georgetown, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really interesting. The group has some experience doing this kind of thing, where it's a low income housing tax credit kind of flip, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the returns are really great. There, I've had four to six offers coming to for people raising capital mm-hmm. on deals and everyone that I've seen those look like really great deals no offense to those mm-hmm. but this one blows it out of the water cool so we're really excited about it uh, closes here real soon so we're, we're very interested to get our hands on it we're gonna be asset managing it and I don't know it's a really great deal at least in our opinion we'd love to have anybody else take a look at it and see what they think about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool I think one of the big things, I mean, we talk about all the time failing forward in any, in life and business and, you know, you never, you don't, you, you win and you learn, you fail forward type deals. Um, I think it's important. You guys are very successful, but is there any lesson that you've learned along the way or, or a way that you know that you failed forward either in this or it could have been a different aspect of your, of your of old business that kind of you brought into play here? Uh, shameless plug, mm-hmm. talking about failing forward. We have a podcast, Real Estate yeah. Unsuccess Stories. And uh, you can find it on any podcast uh, location. But we, we bring on guests that are arguably more successful than us and mm-hmm. do it longer. And they talk about that. We come on and have them talk about their realistic, unsuccessful part of their journey. Because I think a lot of people see social media and it looks great and they get the FOMO. And mm-hmm. no one talks about losing $500,000 on a deal or having to move back in with their parents mm-hmm. or the sleepless nights or having to work three jobs on the side to do to make everything work, we just see the closings, we see the the jets, the cars, you know, the yeah. travel, the, all this fun stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's there once you're there, but there's a lot of trials and tribulations. So we bring people on to talk about those things. And it's been really interesting because 
I chat with them for a while. We only record for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I chat with them for a little while. So it's been interesting to hear their things and what we've taken away from looking at some of the things there too. But um, I mean, really for us, I, and I'll kick at you if you have anything different, but it's, I think for us, it was really failing for it is being okay not buying a deal mm-hmm. the last the last little bit and understanding and coming to the realization of why and really understanding our philosophy on deals, our underwriting model, validating that that works and being validated now that we're seeing some of the things in the market, some of the operators that are out there struggling. uh, That was a failing forward moment for us in my opinion was we felt that FOMO, should we be buying our, you know, should we take a little bit more risk Mm -hmm. on some of these deals? Uh, And I think for us, we, we felt ultimately comfortable where we landed. Yeah, I agree with that. And then, you know, kind of back from my background in construction side, you know, we're coming up through like throwaway, you know, that, the, the great recession there. And, um, you know, just trying to keep them, you know, people busy and stuff. And I guess the biggest thing for me is I'm a numbers guy, you know, from bidding work to now real estate. There's not much difference. I mean, it's income minus expenses. It's not mm-hmm. that hard, you know, and, um, and, then, and, then, and then operating it. But, you know, trust in your numbers. If it doesn't make sense, you know, because I remember, you know, you know, going after a couple of jobs before, just try to keep people busy and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just an absolute nightmare. Um, and so I think when you know me and Cody were looking at all these properties, I'm like, this just doesn't work. Yeah. It makes no fundamental sense. And I think staying to your principles and stuff. Um, not that that was a failure moment, but it's just something you know from my past that kind of you know, brought into this. So looking at deals, it's like we're not speculating on this. Like mm-hmm. it's got to make sense. It's got to be fundamentally strong. And I'm okay with something that doesn't cash flow year one. You know, mm-hmm. that's fine. As long as there is a plan on the back end, like where, how are we getting to X, you know? So I think that's for, for me, you know, it's just staying true to and trusting your numbers and trusting your gut, you know? It, yeah. it don't, don't, don't sit out there and try to make something that's not really there. Yeah. It's so hard. You're a lot of risk. I do the same thing with my brokerage sales. I tell people no. I discourage people probably 80% of the time, especially on the investments, because they they get really excited. They yeah. see things, and they're looking in the future. The like, dude, syndrome. you don't want this thing. It's a piece of shit. Just yeah. don't. Stay away from it. You know, yeah. We'll find you something better. So that's um, I think your investors and the market, will you'll benefit from oh, yeah. that approach like tremendously, especially in the... Well, it's yeah. like Cody said, you get the FOMO, you know, you see all this Instagram, like, you, you know, and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I heard uh, Robert Kiyosaki say something on a podcast, wasn't that long ago. He's like, when you're getting uh, real estate advice from your gardener, <laughs> you know, the, it's over, uh, it's overheated, <laughs> you know. And, um, yeah, and I was like, and I, and I laughed at that and started thinking about it, you know. And I think, Troy, you mentioned something, you know, like everybody's getting in it. And what, mm-hmm. you know, like a year ago, you were teaching English class and now you're in. You, you know, a year later, you're a multifamily syndicator raising mm-hmm. millions of dollars. That's scary to me. It is. Not that you might be the best, but it's just like you have no experience. All you've seen is well, and I think the other thing good that times. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've learned, too, is there's a difference on, on people, and they don't always claim this difference, but there's a difference between organizations that strictly just raise money mm-hmm. and say they have so many doors. Right, though you go to their website and it's like we were we have twelve hundred doors, we have ten thousand doors, mm-hmm. and then if you really dive in and if you ask them, they'll tell you, but it's not clearly advertised. Is yep. that are they actually operating the deal or were they capital raisers? It, perfectly fine. Those exist out there, right? Yeah. Um, it, you know, there's ways to structure and do it properly. But you got to ask that question and if you're going to invest passively or if you're looking to partner. It's understanding. Uh, that kind of thing. I'll never forget. I got an email from a lead operator about a deal. And he was asking, Hey, do you, you know, we're looking for partners on this. If you'd like to come on board, let me know. No less than 15 minutes later, I got the exact same property from three different people saying that they were buying this property. Yep. They were capital raising for it. Mm-hmm. They were not buying the property. And I asked the simple question, are you the lead operator? Yep. No. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I, I understand. That's fine. But I think a lot of these folks are out there are just, they're not advertising that. They're showing we have so many doors. Yeah. You just got to be careful with some of that. Yeah, and it's been, I'm not everybody, obviously, but I think that market, that niche um, can feed ego. So mm-hmm. I think you got to be very careful. Maybe that, like, you know, if you want to work with a Grant Cardone, he's got some great characteristics. <laughs> but for me personally, I, I don't prefer him at all. So I think you got to find the people who like, you feel comfortable with that you think are transparent mm-hmm. and don't, I don't know. I just can't give my money to somebody who's 
not humble. <laughs> yeah, and they're acquiring dirt doors purely out of ego. It's mm-hmm. not. It's you know. Well, and some people have. To, they're in the spot now where they're having to acquire doors. They've grown so exponentially over mm-hmm. this past year. They have this massive team, and the only way that they can keep the lights on and to keep a lot of these people employed is to take these fees. Yeah. So they're buying deals that are maybe a little bit more speculative, maybe a little bit more risk than they like to get into. But the fees that are able to to draw off of those will feed the company mm-hmm. and will keep everyone employed. So again, there's some very prominent large groups that I think are, are possibly doing some of that stuff from what we've seen, but it's like, you, you just gotta understand what's the business model, what mm-hmm. are they doing? Make sure if you're investing that it's something that you believe in, that you understand what the model is that they're they're doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a bad idea either, like this is one particular group I invest in, and there's supposed to be four properties, and they actually dropped one, and they said at the end of the day, like, it just didn't make sense, the numbers there. We only took down three of the four. It, it didn't fit our model. The numbers didn't align, and I, to me, that really got me excited. I'm like, all right, good. You're not just arbitrarily, I'm just buying this. You analyzed it. You did a deeper dive, and you said, no, this one doesn't fit the model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know if that's a question to ask some operators, just like, hey, how many properties have you not bought because the numbers <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah. work? You know, that type of deal yeah, right. over the last three months, six mm-hmm. months. That's a, good point. Um, that's a good point there. Well, we need to start wrapping it up, but let's do, we always try to do fun stuff with people. So are there any books or podcasts or anything you guys are listening to or have recently listened to that you really liked? Listen to our podcast. Yeah, go please. Uh, Real Estate Unsuccess Stories, shameless plug again. Yeah. Um, I'm, re- I'm listening to a book, uh, UOU. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Eric Thomas, I believe, is the author. He's a he's a professional speaker. The hip-hop yeah. Yeah, preacher? Yes. I love Eric Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think my, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think he, he has a lot of good things to say. And he, his book just came out, and I'm just in the very beginning of it. Uh, we both listened to or, or read Who Not How recently. Mm-hmm. I think, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we're big fans of that. Um, so anything like that, just kind of keep keep things going. There's a ton of podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. Some real estate, some not. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, man, I haven't really... I shouldn't say it's so unfortunately. I haven't read a lot of books lately. Um, Me too. <laughs> I used to. I, I'm an audible guy, and I used to be on the road all the time, so I could burn through some books pretty yeah. fast, like once a week. But um, but no, um, two that I read are recently. Um, they're not. One's called Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's a, good a really one. good one. I enjoyed that. Um, somebody recommended. And then other ones. It's called. It's not a. It's not real estate, but it's called Green Lights. And uh, oh, and I think my oh, yeah. Lights are great. The audio book is great. Yeah, yeah. but you got to do the audio because you, you yeah, got to accommodate reading. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. have to do it. But it's just inspirational. And just it's just, it's, just a, it's a fun, good feeling. Sometimes you read all these books about finance, and it just starts boring you, and you yeah. start getting like in this weird mindset. So something just kind of uplifting. It's kind of nice sometimes. So um, I'm enjoying those and back off some of the finance books and all the real estate books because it's a lot of repetitiveness and it's just kind of you got to take a break you got to take a break i can't i get you're in this world all day so then when you listen to that stuff and you don't give yourself any kind of a lapse it it gets like you get burned out on it it, absolutely and then and then one podcast i do like and i haven't listened to him a lot lately because i'm not in the truck as much anymore riding around but um is um the rebel capitalist it's uh, George Gammon. He's oh, okay. uh, it's uh, very big on like macroeconomics and brings in a lot of economists and talks about like where things are going and stuff mm-hmm. and and you know just uh, be careful. You know, get you scared to death. So yeah. you don't you know, but just take it with a grain of salt. But it does give you a big picture of kind of like what's going on with stuff and a lot of different opinions and it's very interesting. So cool. I do like that one a lot. Sounds good. I think uh, one that's kind of like the mid range one. Just to throw one out there that I really think if you like business but you kind of want to not go strictly real estate is that psychology of money. I'm not there to listen to that mm-hmm. audiobook. Phenomenal. Because it just, I mean, not to take up too much time, but a quick blurb of it is the average lower class person spends $430 a year on lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, and they don't have $400 in their savings. And like you just think of that, but you put yourself in their shoes and their way of getting out of the rat race is winning the lottery, mm-hmm. not necessarily being able to, you know, network and grow and take risks. So, it's just it's just a mind blow on just the psychology of money and different you know, from different people. So yeah, it's pretty cool. My dad used to call it the redneck pension plan. Yeah, you guys have anything else you want to mention or, or talk about? Anything you guys do for fun or? Well, I think between the two of us, we cover most of the stuff. Jackson's a fisher fisherman. I mm-hmm. I play golf. Not. Well, he's a way better fisherman than I am. I don't ever go anymore, though. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, not much. Sit around. We both get kids. They take up most of the time. Yeah, so. they really do. I like to sit around and 
cook and barbecuing and uh, watch football. But say Jackson recently got me into barbecuing, so now he's got the he's got the real deal all set stick burner, and I got the pellet smoker, and yep. you know that's a lot of fun. Uh, I cook a lot for the family too, and it's you know yeah. it takes up a lot of time and effort and strategy. It's a good distraction though. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. So. Cool, man. And then of course the the commercial group, the subgroup. Yes. And Last that's, Thursday of every month for yeah. the commercial subgroup, mm-hmm. but the REI Central is the first month of every month. But we encourage everyone that if you haven't come out to the uh, the subgroup yet, even if you're interested, you just want to learn more. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a place that, and, and we love the main REI Central, but it's a little bit more intimate environment. Yeah. Uh, it's hosted over at the Shoemaker Loop and Kendrick building on the last Thursday of every month, 6 to 8. Uh, they put out a little spread for, to grab some bite to eat. We mm-hmm. do some networking. And then we bring in a guest speaker each month to talk about a certain topic. Recently, we've been going through kind of the model that you would need to look at possibly syndicating or jumping into commercial real estate, whether it's industrial, self-storage, or multifamily. It really doesn't matter. A lot of these principles kind of tied over. So we've got, we've had a property manager there. We had uh, somebody represented from CoStar to help us understand like finding properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went over kind of a 101 about like just high level, like what does it all take to get into that? Insurance. We're doing insurance. We had an insurance uh, mm-hmm. agent come in and talk to us about commercial insurance. That was a big learn. I think a lot of people walked away with some eye-opening learns on that one. And then we're doing underwriting this month. And then on tap for next month, we should be looking at having an SEC attorney cool. who will come in and talk about the differences about having investors and deals and like what's the difference between syndication and just having an operating agreement between partners and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important for people to know you have to be a member of REI. Yes. The annual one of these subgroups, but look at the value of that subgroup. So it's just, I mean, 100 bucks for the year and you get to go listen to someone discuss SEC yeah. or Jackson breaking down a deal. I mean, just ton of value there. Yeah, I mean, we get great feedback on those meetings because it's different. The, the main group is more of a networking group. It's just so loud and there's so many people in there. We can't give a presentation mm-hmm. at all. So these smaller subgroups, especially yours, is just way more dialed in. Um, it's crazy value. But we do try to reserve the small groups for the annual members, and that's just sort of a way to try to keep the membership at bay so you don't end up with 50 people in there and you know so we'll, we'll take 50 yeah. we got a plan for 50 come I'm on sure it'll grow. get your membership and then come on out yep. and, and take a look at it yeah i'm sure you'll have them it won't be much longer so cool man well we really appreciate you guys coming in where can people find you uh best place to find us like i said the the podcast is online you can find out any successful podcast uh we're on linkedin pretty active on there and then venducapital.com cool. is the best place to get in touch with us Man, thank you so much for coming in, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. And uh, quick, uh, we'll do a quick eco tip here. Just using reusable products. Anytime that you're going to the beach, you're going somewhere, just grab a water bottle that you can refill, or or trying to use styrofoam. Just little earth friendly tips there. And then supporting our local business. This is important. Um, I think small business is really what makes Charleston Charleston. Uh, the Candlefish. They actually make our their rewind candles from recycled wine bottles, which is really cool. And then um, Woodruff, I'm gonna give a shout out because it's my favorite wine bar wine and some great bourbon on John's Island. It's one of those hidden gems that not many people know about, but the food there is phenomenal. The chef is amazing and the service is great. So I definitely recommend Woodruff over on John's Island. But appreciate everything today. Appreciate you guys coming out. And thanks, it's a great one. Yeah, it was really good one. Appreciate y'all. All right, bye. Thanks again for listening to the REI Central Podcast presented by Maven Realty. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to us. You can find us online at www.mavenrealtysc.com. We also hope to see you at our next REI Central meetup. More information on dates and tickets can be found at www.rei-central.com. Have a great day.